How are you today, Laura? I'm great, Pamela. Thank you for having me on. It's such a pleasure. And I think I was just, as you might've heard, singing your praises and the praises of the organization and how the work you're doing is needed today more now than ever. And I'm sure we will get into that. And I'm sure there's a lot to talk about beyond differences and the type of work that, that you're doing. But before we get into that, can you tell everyone a little bit about you, uh, what you were doing before differences, before, before beyond differences, you know, your, your career path, and, and then also what led you to starting beyond differences? Sure. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. So I've, uh, I came to beyond differences late in life. Um, I'll tell you the founding story in a moment, but my career had been built, um, as a fundraising consultant. And I think when I was, just becoming a professional, there really wasn't a career path called become a fundraiser. But in fact, I really enjoyed working behind the scenes, whether it was for nonprofit organizations who were uh, working on progressive causes or social justice or women's rights and uh, political campaigns and candidates. Um, so I enjoyed doing the behind the scenes fundraising. I became good at finance. I opened up my own firm. And for about 20 years, um, I consulted and helped and learned a lot about how well-run and not so well-run nonprofits are. That came in handy later on when I started Beyond Differences. Um, and in about 2003, which goes back quite a while, I was honored to be working with then District Attorney Kamala Harris uh, when she was elected DA for San Francisco. Um, so for seven years, I was Kamala's finance director. And at that time, now seven years later, she was running for statewide office to become our first attorney, a first black woman as attorney general. And my kids were of the age where they needed someone at home with them a little bit more uh, high school and middle school age children. I'm sure anybody out there who's raised kids can relate to that. So I decided to close up my business, bring it all home. Uh, say goodbye to the district attorney and really went in-house uh, with a nonprofit organization. I was really having a great time with this new nonprofit. It was based in New York City. I ran the Western United States for them. It was an international nonprofit. I traveled all over the world. And about three months after I arrived in my new job, my daughter Lily passed away um, in her sleep, um, 15 years old. She herself was a freshman at an out-of-state boarding school, and she died of medical complications associated with a uh, syndrome that she was born with called Apert's syndrome. So I'll take a moment to let that settle in. It was a shock and um, a trauma for our family, and yet... Six months after Lily passed away, we decided to throw a fundraiser in her honor and give back something to the school where she passed away. And during the planning of this party that we were going to have in Lily's honor, we stumbled onto what really mattered to Lily, what she experienced in middle school was feeling left out. We had no words for social isolation in those days. This was in 2010. And I can assure you, nobody understood social isolation, but I saw with my own eyes that that's what Lily was going through in middle school, which is not um, coincidentally the reason she decided to leave our local community when it was time to choose 
a high school. So we decided to throw a barbecue in her honor, raise some money and promote this issue for the very first time. And so I'll just pause for a moment and um, let you know that that was the beginning of Beyond Differences. And I'm happy to answer questions or go deeper, but it was pretty crazy how it all got started. And it really was because of Lily's passing and a group of her former classmates who never really understood why Lily felt the way she felt and then started putting the pieces together with me. And we decided to um, form this nonprofit. So, and I know as I, I've known your family for a long time and I, I remember this happening quite well. Thank I'm you. sorry, there was, the phone is ringing here at KXSF. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just going to ignore it. <laughs> anyway, uh, usually it's just spam or, but, and, but I re- remember when that happened and how uh, it was, it was just this really sad, tragic event. And, you know, I'm sure for you, it's nothing, you know, losing a child is something that you, nothing that you really get over. But do you feel that with starting Beyond Differences and now at least seeing where it is and how it's helped so many kids, how does that make you feel? Yeah, thank you. You know, it's become what started out as a personal um you know, yeah, trauma is probably the right word because there is nothing equivalent to losing a child, especially the shock of it and the unexpectedness of it. I, I really can't even imagine what's worse, being prepared or not being prepared. It all doesn't matter at the end of the day. It's awful. And yet, I think the courage of a few of the classmates who did come together and wanting to get out there in public and talk about Lily. Hi made me really feel like um, I could make something of her life. Yeah, I feel. I'm trying to figure out how to mute this thing. Anyway, you've got got to love community radio. Uh, I do love it. I do love it. And you can edit all of this out if you want, you know. Uh, no, the, the only thing that would get involved, that would get it, get it uh, hey, the, the telephone ringing gives, gives, gives the whole thing a little more character. There are just, <laughs> there are just, there are just a few words that we cannot say on radio, but you, you've you done this before, so I'm sure you know what they are. I'm, I'm, obviously, I can't repeat them. I'll always put them in the chat. Anyway, yeah, though, but, yeah. but you were saying, I'm, I'm sorry. No, no, don't be sorry at all. Yeah, I, I think the truth is, is that if it were not for the fact that these former classmates of Lily wanted to do something with me and I was stubbornly holding on to her memory and what she actually went through when she was in middle school gave this whole launch uh, not just a sense of authenticity uh, because it was based on the life of one child but also kept me on focus about what would matter to other children because I actually saw what happened to my own daughter So this wasn't theoretical. This was personal. And the answer to your question is, of course, I'm incredibly gratified about the fact that we have grown into a national organization over the past 12 years. Um, And it's the numbers are staggering to even me. So if you can just, can you just tell us a little bit of, or not a little bit, just what like Beyond Differences does, like yeah. in terms of the programs it has. And, and let's say even when it started, what it did and what it's evolved into now, because I remember when you started, it was just like, as you said, it was some of Lily's former classmates and, you know, some people helping out. And now you're into a full-blood national, or, full-blown yeah, national it's, organization. 
Kind of crazy. You're absolutely right, Pamela. Thank you. I mean, so we started out doing an assembly in front of a group of fifth and sixth graders at a local um, Marin County public school. And when I saw the response of the kids in the audience, I began to really think maybe we're onto something. Um, so we went around the community and we offered to do presentations. Uh, I took this group of high school students, actually some of them were even younger than high school, but we went to middle schools and we stumbled on the formula that actually works to this day, older students mentoring younger students, the younger ones in middle school, which happens to be the perfect age to begin to have these conversations about identity and belonging, look up to the older kids in high school. We didn't know it at the time, but we designed something really perfect. So we started out by going through assembly after assembly after assembly. Mind you, I'm still having a full-time job in San Francisco and dropping things and running back to Marin, going back to my office, running back to Marin. And um, the response was great. We were very popular and we were invited into a number of schools, uh, the kids and myself. And then I started having monthly meetings with the kids and they became our first teen board of directors. Um, but a few couple of years into doing these assembly programs, the teachers would say to us, you know, it's one thing for you to come in and talk to our students, but when you leave, they want to continue to have more conversation. Their hearts are open, they're sharing, and we need something else from you. So we thought that was smart and we should be responsible about opening up and how do we close and heal when we're talking about do you feel left out? Do you feel invisible? Do you feel like you belong? Do you feel accepted? These were the themes that we were talking about because that was what Lily had gone through. So we began to develop clubs in the local middle school. We began to have little lesson plans that we could give to the teachers that were helping the kids in the clubs. And then about three years into Beyond Differences, we uh, created No One Eats Alone Day, which has become our biggest program around the country now. No One Eats Alone Day is what it sounds like. It's an opportunity for children to make new friends at lunch, which is often the lowest moment of a child's day if they don't feel like they connect easily or don't have friends or feel left out. Um, the signs of social isolation sometimes are obvious, like, Nobody sits with this child, but some other children like Lily used to hide in the library or hide in the girl's bathroom or wander around the gym or the playing field. And so you don't always know from an adult who those children are, but the children know who each other are. And that's why having a peer-to-peer -peer program means so much and is so good. So no one eats alone. This became our biggest program. Uh, it comes now with a set of lessons for teachers to use, a student leadership unit. We developed a fall program called Know Your Classmates, which is a back to school. Oh, Laura, I think we lost you for uh, a second. Learn how to make uh, friendships at the beginning of the school year. Yeah, I'm sorry, Pamela. Did you want to? Oh, oh, we'd lost you for just a quick second. Oh. Yeah. Okay. But you're back. You're back. Okay, cool. So after No One Eats Alone, we developed a back to school curriculum called Know Your Classmates based on uh, our differences around uh, family tradition, religion, faith, cultural backgrounds. Amazing stories have come out of that, which I'd love to share some with you. And then at the end of the school year, we have another initiative called Be Kind Online, which deals with the um, 
aspects of social media. Um, so at this point in time, just to underscore, we are now in nearly 9,000 schools across the United States in all 50 states. We have done a lot of public opinion research that show that no matter whether you live in a coastal state or an, uh, a, a Midwestern state or a Southern state, whether you're rural or urban or suburban schools, it doesn't matter what your preferences are for politics or religion. Teachers know that children in their classes are showing up every day with issues before the pandemic, it was definitely happening uh, during the pandemic. It's been a nightmare and coming out of the pandemic, we're seeing regressive behavior. Um, so teachers need our curriculum and our leadership programs more than ever. What do you mean by you're seeing regressive behavior? Well, children have lost a lot of ground on their social skills, which is the sort of umbrella term. It's social and emotional learning or social and emotional development. And so we have um, really to put aside academic uh, excellence and really start to focus on children's behavior and children's ability to connect. So, for example, making eye contact with others, learning how to <laughs> pick a partner for a school project or a lab, uh, learning how to make new friends at school, navigating the social milieu when kids are going into eighth grade that have never stepped in their middle school hallways before, understanding how you fit in, who do you know, who do you not know because you haven't been in school in two years. And then there's the issues of social media, I think there are some amazing organizations out there like Common Sense Media and others that really address, address that specifically. But there have been, to all of our knowledge, challenges on TikTok and other social media platforms that are calling on children to out, uh, behave outrageously and do uh, act out in ways that are never before seen by educators. And we hear that all the time. Yeah, so I don't have a TikTok account and don't plan on it. And really just use a lot of the social media I use is just to promote various things that I'm doing at this point, uh, because I do think there is this, this like, it's just shrouded in so much toxicity. Uh, and, and like, you know, from those who own it to what the content. And I can imagine that if you're like for teenagers, it's gotta be like that, that much worse, but there, there have been kids that have killed themselves because they've been cyber bullied. Right. And that's something that, you know, while, you know, when we were growing up, yes, I mean, I was, I was, I was a socially isolated, isolated kid. I was someone who did not have somebody sit down and have lunch with, yeah. or maybe the few of us were the same. So we sat down and had lunch together. Uh, but, and that, that was really hard, but then to have what's happening with social media on top of it. And I just don't, I like, I've got to say, I'm kind of happy I don't have kids for that reason. I mean, it's, it's, it's so difficult. I know. To like how, I know when, when you had, when Lily and Abram were growing up, you didn't really have social media, but I'm sure you must hear from parents all the time saying like, how do I navigate this? How do I deal with this? Absolutely. You know, we do. And as I mentioned, there are some amazing organizations out there who this is their business 24 um, seven. But for us to talk about social isolation, belonging and connection, and not talk about the elephant in the room, which is social media, it's upsides. And frankly, it's many, many downsides. 
I don't think we would be responsible, you know, uh, partners with children, families, and educators. So we do devote an entire curriculum each year um, on how to spot and mitigate social isolation online. We are not telling children you should not or could not use social media. We know that that is not our job and that you know that horse is out of the barn. What we can do though is to teach children um, how social media companies are manipulating what they see and what they view. We can talk to kids about how posting or doing some innocuous things would really cause another child to feel great harm and hurt. Um, we know that depression and anxiety occur when children are feeling left out and socially isolated. So there are physiological responses to how many likes you have and, uh, and, and whether you're tagged or posted to on a social media post. So there are a lot of things that we could be doing that are stopping short of telling children to put your phones away, which is just not going to happen. The other thing we're doing is turning social isolation disruption into a fun thing and a cool thing to do. So right now we have an activity that we're just putting out online for teachers to sign up for, um, creating online superhero profiles for themselves. And it's part of our Be Kind Online curriculum. And we're celebrating Be Kind Online Day on Friday, May 13th. So it's like three weeks from now. And our um, activity for this year is to create a superhero um, online and then be able to have a gallery of superheroes in a classroom and kids can go around and sort of answer each other's questions. It's a very cool um, activity, which is literally going right now across the country. I think we have 1,700 schools that have signed up so far. So if there are any parents or teachers who wanted to know about this, how can they get more information? Easy peasy, uh, beyonddifferences.org. Uh, beyond differences, two words together. So there's two D's in the middle, .org. And I want to add that everything is free of charge, Pamela. We specifically and stubbornly make sure that teachers who on average have to spend 15 to $1,800 a year out of their own uh, pockets do not have to spend money on beyond differences. Um, so we insist on keeping everything for free most of our schools that use our material are what's called Title I. That means they're federally subsidized um, or have reduced lunch programs. And we're very proud of that. That's great. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back in, in just a moment. For those of you listening, that uh, this is KXSF LP San Francisco. I'm Pamela Bush. Uh, the show is Fifth Wave Radio, Queerly Drinking. And my guest is Laura Talmas, the executive director and co-founder of Beyond Differences. We'll be back in just a minute.
Okay, let's get back to our conversation here uh, at Fifth Wave Radio uh, with Laura Talmas, the executive director and co-founder of Beyond Differences. So I, I was just wondering when you say co-founder, do you consider some of the, the kids who started it with you to be co-founders too, or? <laughs> I love it. Yes, except that's not the co-founder. It's yeah. my husband, Ace, who uh, really is the co-founder with me of Beyond Differences. And I have to give him a ton of credit because even though he also maintains a full-time professional career, he has put his heart and soul into Beyond Differences. I should mention somewhere along the way, after about six years, I went to the board of directors and said, I can't do two full-time jobs anymore. So I think I'm going to hire myself to be the executive director. And everybody was like, sounds like a good idea. So that's when we really grew is when I went full-time, full-time, full-time. Okay, great. So I want to talk about something that is happening in the country right now, as I think you you no doubt are aware of. I mean, you said that you're in every state and regardless of your political positions, but now we have in several states, you know, in Texas and Florida, and there are many, many, I was listening to a show earlier about there were hundreds of bills through different state legislatures uh, to ban books, to not teach critical race theory, which these people don't even know what critical race theory is. They they just know that, you know, okay, we don't want to go there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, an anti-LGBTQ IA legislation. That has got to be for you and for your organization. That's just got to be like a punch in the gut Mm -hmm. because what you're trying to do is totally counter that and create greater acceptance. Right. Uh, And and I'm going to take a guess and I could be wrong, but when you started Beyond Differences over 10 years ago, yeah, there were kids who identified as trans maybe in their hearts, but there weren't as many that were really out yeah. who, who admitted or, or even like admitted that you know, they were gay. Yeah. Uh, or, or, you know, maybe sometimes they were attracted to a wide spectrum of genders. You, and, you know, we're, we're in a position that we're, we're, we're having much more frank and open conversations about race and about gender. Yep. But then we have this backlash happening in so many states, and it's not like it's just the South. You know, there are it's something like forty-two different difference. Forty-two states have these bills yep. that are going through. How do you do? You see where there's a, a way that beyond differences can be a counter to this reactionary, bigoted movement that's going on through throughout American education. Yeah, it's a it's a really discouraging conversation out there that you're exactly right about. Uh, first of all, the conflation between social and emotional learning and critical race theory has pushed us backwards for so many years now that it's just really uh, it's criminal because if you if you ask a parent, do you want your child to have self-management skills? Oh, yeah, of course I do. Do you want your child to grow up with more self-confidence? Well, yes, of course I do. Do you want your child to have relationship and communication skills with others? Yes, of course I do. Well, then that is what social and emotional learning is. It is not critical race theory, but the two have gotten mixed together so that now SEL programs are being thrown out along with the fear of critical race theory being taught to their children. So first of all, there has to be an uncoupling of this. Second, 
I'm absolutely furious about the number of bills that are winding their way through all these state legislatures that are taking on social and emotional learning that are needed more than ever in our country, as you said, Pamela, to learn acceptance and belonging. And the fact is, is that this is what teachers are dealing with in the classroom every day anyway. And the fact that there is a lobby now, um, in my opinion, of parents who are angry and feel that we are somehow creating children to be something other than who they are is absurd. But that's what we're up against. Here's what we can do about it. As a, as a private nonprofit corporation, I can put out as much curriculum as I want, take it to the edge and go over and call out the injustices against marginalized children. We've done that from day one. We were the first in the country to talk about the increase of hate and bullying against Muslim American children when a certain former president was running for office in the summer of 2016. We teamed up with the Muslim American network called the Islamic Networks Group and we co-wrote our first curriculum called Know Your Classmates, which by the way, was modeled on President Obama's Know Your Neighbors initiative. And we thought, well, if we're gonna know our neighbors, why don't we do something for children to know their classmates? And that's how that happened. We also were the first in the country to write middle school curriculum to stand up for the AAPI youth in our country. And we've been doing that now for, I think, three years. This coming summer will mark three years since we first talked about that issue. We have taken on LGBTQIA plus curriculum. We have been talking about this stuff. And what we tell schools are take all of it, use what you can, but it's here for you. And we have to keep pushing hard on this because teachers need it, children need it, and parents are gonna stand up and defend their children's right to be who they are. That's who we work with. That's just what we stubbornly have to continue to do. What have you been hearing from teachers in some of these states, like in Florida and Texas? And we could go down the, the list yep. where, you know, where especially I mean, Florida being a great example of that, where you know there's, don't say gay. Are, have you heard from any teachers who are, who are just, trying to figure out what to do when, when they really want, they, you know, they have, they have kids who obviously are, you know, have for lack of a better term, non-normative gender and sexuality. And, but, and, and, you know, up until recently you, there was inclusion in the classroom and now all of a sudden that's been closed down. Right. So, well, yeah. I can give you examples of what teachers need and why I think Beyond Differences has grown so much is because in spite of whatever the adults, governors, lawmakers, or some parents want to do, teachers are, as I mentioned, being confronted by the realities of, of their children coming to them and saying, I can't go home and talk about this, but here's what I'm thinking. Trans kids are contemplating suicide in Utah, where it's the highest, obviously, conservative religious state, one of them in the country. Um, teachers in Arizona who are in what's called our professional development cohort are asking whether or not they could uh, continue to be taking classes with us because they're afraid that perhaps they're not allowed to be doing that. Pamela, I need to quickly go answer my doorbell. I am so sorry this is embarrassing, but somebody is here. 
So would you forgive me? I have to. There's a repairman here. Sure. No, I'll, I'll forgive you. Will, will you be able to come back? Of course. Okay. 10 seconds. 10 seconds. Okay. We can give you 10 seconds. And, and, and I'll, I'll, in the meantime, we, it's time to do another underwriting announcement. So no, no worries. No, pretty Good. funky, but thank you for understanding. I'll be right of, there. Of, of course. No problem. Okay. Well, everyone will, we'll be right back in, in just maybe 30 seconds. All right, so, so we're back. Uh, for those of you just tuning in, you're listening to KXSFLP San Francisco. This is Pamela Bush. You're listening to Fifth Wave Radio Queerly Drinking. And my guest is Laura Talmas, who is the executive director and co-founder of Beyond Differences, which is an organization based in the Bay Area, but works uh, nationally to promote belonging and inclusion um, in middle schools, especially. And uh, we were just having a discussion about the negative impacts of the, the many, many bills that are going through state legislatures in 42 states in this country that, uh, are, ban that, are, that are banning, prohibiting the use of any sort of topic related to LGBTQIA plus people, uh, critical race theory, and uh, the impact that it's having, not just on, on students, but the impact it's having on teachers. So uh, Laura, yeah. you're back and yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think really resources and um, strategies uh, for teachers to be able to use in their classrooms. I do appreciate that teachers are not allowed to step over a line when it comes to counseling children. And yet we know from individual conversations with teachers that they are being asked to coach them and help them navigate uh, conversations that they can't even have at home. And it's, it's very um, upsetting and disturbing. I'm, I'm not sure that that really is new, but the issues are new. The topics, as you said, that that teachers are not allowed to talk about at school is new because we're all aware and awoke. And we need to have these conversations because this is what the kids are actually experiencing and going through. Um, so depending on the state that you're living in, there are sometimes 100% shutdown ability to use curriculum, to be participating in a teacher's uh, workshop, and certainly 
there are governors that are passing egregious laws that are prohibiting any kind of conversation around this stuff. So I, I just echo everything you're saying. And all we can do is to keep responding with we're here for you. We're free. We have the right resources, the right strategies. Um, we can put you in touch with other teachers that are teaching the same material so that you can learn from each other. This is what we can continue to do. And in spite of whatever the leaders of the states are doing, the teachers are coming to us. And that is evidenced by the fact that we're growing every year over bigger than I ever thought possible. Well, for instance, could a teacher, let's say in Florida, if a kid were to come to them, a, a, a trans kid and say, you know, I'm struggling with this. I can't go home. And it would a teacher be able to then say, okay, here are some organizations that can help you. Let's say something like beyond differences, but also something that that is very specific to dealing, let's say, with with trans kids. Is that would they like? Is that even going? You know, would they be break? Would they be breaking the law by doing that? Well, I'm not an expert in this panel, but what I do know is that the governor is um, also targeting the elimination of sex education. The don't say gay bill, I believe, is pertinent to K through three and we're in the middle school um, age group. So I'm not as familiar with early elementary school education. Um, I can tell you what teachers have told me. We're not a resource for kids to be able to go to as, let's say, a community clinic or um, a resource center for kids who are teenagers. I, you know, I'm, I avail myself of all the current podcasts and articles and information that's out there as much as you probably do. So I do know that that's available for certain children in certain states, even hard to navigate red states, if you will. What we do is to provide teachers with curriculum, lesson plans, worksheets, videos, um, all kinds of resources that they could use to be able to bring up difficult topics, do it in such a way that is aimed at the middle school audience and also deals with marginalized children so that everyone at school begins to notice each other and begins to promote acceptance. We're not taking on the political infrastructure of any one state, but we do double down on our willingness to take it to the edge and talk about these difficult subjects. Teachers will work with their own students to develop self-confidence so that they can go home and possibly have these conversations, but they're not actually telling a child what to do. They can't do that. And they may or may not be referring out. I really don't know, but that's not our role. Our role is to provide teachers in the classroom with all the instructional material to take on the most difficult, difficult topics and not back away for a second. That's what we do do. So in 2020, we had the, the beginning of the COVID pandemic. And then just like, you know, a couple of months into lockdown, there were a series of um, police executions of black people mm -hmm. and which really ignited a lot of conversations about race in this country. Yep. And, you know, a lot of this happened when kids were not in school or they were, they were doing Zoom learning. And now you know, most kids, I think, you know, everywhere probably kids are, are back in school. 
and as they're back in school, but then you also have this this backlash of oh, we don't want to, you know, we don't want you know white children to feel uncomfortable in the classroom, mm -hmm. of, right? So, how is, in what ways does beyond differences and the curriculum that that you have, uh, how does it like discuss racial issues? Because you can't, you know, this is a kind, this is a we live in a highly racialized society. Yeah, and. I, you know, I know that it's it's the same thing as like don't say gay. It's like don't say critical race theory and all the thing, everything that's that is supposedly implied in people's minds in that. Right. Uh, but it's, especially now, where where it's it's this situation where like we've had the last couple of years have been really difficult. Kids weren't in school. Now they're back in school, and now their teachers are being told they can't address these issues. So what is it you know surrounding the topic of race? Are you really hearing not just teachers, but also kids navigate. Well, just to, again, to remind you, we work with over 9,000 educators. And so primarily we are working with the adult community and we're asking them to bring our curriculum, especially the student leadership opportunities to the children. But we are working directly with the adults. What we've done is to improve and change our lesson plans um, to add new material how to create an anti-racist classroom, how to teach children about microaggressions, um, how to navigate uh, through difficult conversations, through trauma. You know, there are many, many, many ways in which our own curriculum has been upgraded and deepened to reflect the kinds of trauma that kids and their families have experienced, both going in and coming out of the pandemic, the racial issue is just one of the issues. The increase of mental health issues is another. The increase of racism against the AAPI community is another, as you, we talked about trans children. So what we can do is to continue to deepen and lift up at the same time our curriculum so that we give the resources that teachers need to be able to have these difficult conversations with the kids. Um, New York City Department of Education is probably our single biggest client, if you will. Uh, we ha have our materials used in four or 500 schools in New York City alone. Uh, so the thirst is there for the information. We are working with what's called the Coalition of the Willing. These are teachers that know they need what we have to offer and they keep signing up in droves. We're trying to make it relatable for the middle school aged demographic because these kids are smart, they're mature, they're getting too much information too quickly um, because of social media and because of all the screens, but we're keeping up with it. And so building an anti-racist classroom, making sure that we write our curriculum through a DEI lens, all of these things that we're doing um, is helping to improve what we're able to offer to teachers. And uh, if you were a teacher working with us, you would have no less than 30 to 35 lesson plans that you could use from the beginning of the school year all the way to the end and never run out of material. So it's there. And um, that's what we do to contribute to a healthier environment um, for kids right now. Yeah. But like you mentioned, New York City and New York City is it's New York City. So, yeah. you know, you're, you're, which is great because it does have such a wide reach and, and there are so many children enrolled in the public schools. But uh, but then it's I, I I fear that 
what you're doing may not be reaching the communities that need it most. And I know that you are in so many states, right. but, I, but I guess the fear that I have is especially now with these new laws that are coming down. And this is something you may, you might not know for a while, like how it is going to impact the work that you're trying to do. I think there's a lot of us out there, Pamela, that are doing really righteous work. And I think you have a lot of senators on Capitol Hill, all the way to small nonprofits like my my own, that are working together to lift up policy and lift up positivity and lift up disruption of the negative. I think we hear a lot more about the negative and the outrageous, and we have to keep fighting against all of it. But we just finished a year-round professional development cohort in Nashville, Tennessee, in Aurora, Colorado, in Phoenix, Arizona, in Orange County, California. We're um, at play right now to get new funding for Dallas, Texas, um, Minneapolis, Indianapolis. These are cities that are not necessarily blue liberal cities. And so I think, again, because we are in all the states, you have to understand that there are teachers that talk to each other that need the information and know where to find it when they find somebody who's also been using our stuff. And so we're just one player on a vast landscape of good organizations that are fighting back. And I think it's being supported also by some pretty high level uh, influencers from celebrities to superintendents of states of education to Capitol Hill senators that are not just uh, on the democratic side. So I, I just, I think there's a lot that's being done And sadly, we have to untangle the needs of the children on the social and emotional side from the critical race theory nonsense that's being purported out there. Um, But the more we can do that and the more we can raise a generation of children who are learning to accept each other, and that is the benefit of being in 9,000 schools is that we're reaching millions and millions of children, that's that's a group of people that are 12 today, the next generation, they're going to be voting, they're going to be teaching, they're going to be running for office themselves, and they may become parents. And so who do you want to be doing all of that? I would take a 12-year-old today that's in a classroom that's getting the material uh, any day of the week. And the more we can do and the more we can push, the better it's going to be. We're seeding a new generation of leaders and we're not marginalizing more children. We're, we're lifting all the kids up to recognize um, acceptance and belonging and the humanity in all of us. Can't stop doing that. Well, so why do you think that, uh, that middle school is really is the right age to be doing this? It, it just, it developmentally, it is not only scientifically proven that it's the right age, but I think we all can remember what it was like to go through junior or middle school ourselves. Um, Number one, you begin to really uh, disassociate a bit from adult influence and begin to turn to your peer group for fitting in, for acceptance and for belonging. And who better to sort of influence one another than other students in your school. So even having an eighth grader mentor a sixth grader can make a world of difference to that sixth grader. And so middle school developmentally is the perfect time. They're coming out of the fog of childhood. They're ready to become leaders and they are open-hearted and open-spirited if given the tools and the training and the information to go forward and become a positive uh, functioning adult, which is really what we're trying to do here. But the, the, the pandemic has set us backward. I mean, there's no question about the fact that kids were experiencing trauma 
and their their brains were you know neuro, neurologically in a, a fight or flight mode the entire two years of this pandemic. You can't learn when you're in that state. So the fact that we're coming out of the pandemic and we're back to being in person and back to learning skills about how to connect and be with each other is huge. But we have a lot of ground to catch up that we lost. And how, how do you see doing that? Well, I think we are doing that. Number one, we are uh, working more and more with teachers, uh, doing workshops in person, bringing in outside experts. We have a high school teen board of directors that's coming out of middle schools and into high school all over the United States. Those kids are being trained as activists, if you will, uh, that are picking projects and helping us to write our curriculum, helping us plan our social media. Uh, so, So everything that we put out is informed by high school students, in addition to people who are experts in education. Uh, that makes it more relatable for the middle school kids. And so therefore, you know, it is getting to the children through osmosis, through everything that we can do is the transmission of learning from older to younger student. Yeah, and I think that's, and I imagine also for the older students, that's also, that's a, there's a lot of learning that, that goes on there too. I mean, it seems like in a lot of ways, it's just a, a win-win for everyone. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's a great program. Our national team board of directors. It's a great program. Yeah, and if there are any high school students who wanted to get involved in in this, not to say they'd be on the board, but to get involved in what the organizations work, how how would they find out about it? Also, beyonddifferences.org, and there's a drop-down bar at the top on the nav bar that's uh, for become a youth leader. We really do want more youth in ninth through 12th grade to apply to become on the team board. Uh, We're having our first four-day activist academy this June for the current group of students that are on the team board. So there's a lot to look forward to if you want to join the team board and become involved with a group of others who are like-minded and learn from each other. So now that the organization has been around, I I can see, I think that you have somebody wants to get your attention back there or saying goodbye to you. Yep. Okay, for those of you who are listening, we'll, we're just going to take a quick little brief interlude here for another PSA, and we'll be right back. I am back, Pamela. Okay, so we are back with Laura Talmas, who is the co-founder and executive director of Beyond Differences. And it looks like Laura and her dog, who uh, has made a little bit of a cameo throughout the interview. We've, we've heard, heard the dog a little bit too. Uh, so 
now that the organization has been around for over 10 years and you've had students, both uh, like high school students who've been sort of you know, mentors and middle school students, I'm sure you've heard stories of people, uh, what people have said about how, you know, beyond differences has, you know, impacted them. Yeah. Um, and, and the people they've become. And I know you, you, you mentioned this earlier in the program, but uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners would love to hear that too. Thank you. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a great point, and I'm glad you you asked me about it. We have probably about 160 students now that have gone through the high school program uh, that really were volunteers on what we now know is a board of directors. And that required four years of commitment, monthly meetings, signing up to go out and do assembly programs and all the work that's required to be a good board member. Uh, Those kids are incredible. They're anywhere from 18 to 28 years old now. Um, Some of the students have reported uh, to me a number of things. One, not unusual to hear back from an admissions officer at a college or university uh, to say, that the child that we just accepted wrote their essay on Beyond Differences and their work with you. And we'd like to know if you could bring Beyond Differences um, to this college town or to this university. Uh, One of our students actually started um, a women's rape crisis center on her school campus that was based on the toolkit that she learned how to make for the No One Eats Alone Day program. She took the best of what she learned as an activist from Beyond Differences and applied it uh, to a whole different subject and uh, just excelled at that for three or four years and made a huge difference on her school campus. Parents have told us that their children's values, their awareness, their sensitivity to others, their ability to be self-confident, public speakers, um, accept others um, has, has only happened because of their work with Beyond Differences. It goes on and on and on. And so I feel like we threw a pebble into a big pond and the ripples have been really forever felt. If we did nothing more, we've reached millions and millions of children in school. We've affected the lives of all of their families. Uh, Oftentimes parents tell us that the kids would come home from school and not really tell them much about what happened that day at school, except when our organization happened to do an assembly program. That was the topic of conversation at dinner that night. They learned about this little girl who passed away, but she left behind um, an understanding of what it was like to learn how to accept differences and they wanna get involved in Beyond Differences. So we're very proud of that. But I, I started out doing this, as you know, as a mom. I do this now because I understand that there are millions of children who have been impacted by our work and millions, millions, millions more to reach. And I feel that our organization, which now has only 12 full-time people, but is writing curriculum that is not even comparable to anything else in the country, uh, creating leadership opportunities to become social isolation disruptors for high school kids, and teaching teachers how to navigate through these really awful issues that we've talked about. Nobody else is doing that. We were the first in the United States to identify social isolation as an adolescent mental health crisis, the very first. And um, that's huge for me. I'm very proud of that. And uh, we continue to do the hard work. Um, Yeah. 
Go ahead. And and I'm sure, especially over the last two years, social isolation has become an an even bigger problem too. And it's be and one that people are discussing. Absolutely. Where you you might have you were talking about ten years ago, but it wasn't. You know, it, it wasn't a a mainstream term really. Thank you for giving me that opportunity to tell you that just about two months ago, I was sitting in my home office and a friend of mine called me and said, did you know that the Surgeon General of the United States is testifying on Capitol Hill uh, to the Senate uh, Senate Finance Committee hearings on adolescent mental health? And he just cited Beyond Differences as a program that should be um, invested in and used in all schools across the country because of its impact um, and I said, no, I didn't. But that's an honor that you could actually have the Surgeon General speaking um, about that on national television. So uh, it is a topic we're all too familiar with now. We don't have to explain social isolation anymore. We just have to be sure that every child who comes to school deserves the opportunity to be accepted, included, respected, and valued by their classmates. The only way to do that is to bring beyond differences to each school in the country. Well, great. And I, I hope, yeah, I think that it sounds, I, that would be great. I know there are a lot of challenges, especially of being able to implement it in the way that you would like to be able to implement it. Because even though the a lot of the legislation is targeting you know, K through three, or it, it's still, I think it's just a, they're just working their way up to you know, the education ladder. So I know it, there's a lot there. So I guess my, my question for you, and I know we just have a few minutes left, is what is the what do you wanna do in the future with Beyond Differences? Is, is there anything already in the pipeline or what is your vision for it, let's say five years down the line? Well, I think I've said it a couple of times already, Pamela, I really do double down on the fact that the more schools who use the curriculum and the leadership opportunities for youth, the better. So that would be number one. We're maybe in 25% of all the middle and junior high schools in the country, and I would love to see us in 100% of it. I would also like to see every state in the country protecting and supporting social and emotional learning. It is the plate on which everything else at school should be served on. It is not a luxury. It's not an afterthought. It's, it's, it's not a playtime project. It is something that actually is core and basic. So states need to pass laws protecting and supporting social and emotional learning and bringing kids' voices to the table. They know what they need. Adults need to listen to them. I, yeah, yeah, but 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 then of course you're going to have the people say, well, you know, kids go to school to learn, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic, not social and emotional learning. Like that's that's the thing that that you're going to be up against. We're going to agree to disagree about that, and we have enough evidence to show that there are millions and millions of children in in schools where teachers understand that SEL is actually more important than anything else. So let's get this right and let's keep fighting. Uh, I'm not going to try to convince everybody, but the more schools that are working with SEL, the better, and the more laws that are passed to protect SEL, the better. Yeah. So I, I know that you've you've said a few times uh, how people can get involved. They're interested in being part, they're a high school student, they're interested in getting involved, or they're an educator. But if you're just someone who's out there and you're like, wow, this, this sounds like a great investment in our society. Uh-huh. Yes. Donations. We are a tiny little scrappy organization. 
Our budget is small compared to our impact. So first of all, if you're listening and you have no time or you really don't know what to do and you don't even like social media, that's okay. We need donations because we subsist on philanthropy and the generosity of folks. Number two, if you work for companies that have employees that would like to get engaged in their local community, we have a couple of corporate sponsors who one of the best benefits is for them to be able to get all of their folks out into the community, bringing our toolkits to the schools and helping the children celebrate holidays like Know Your Classmates and No One Eats Alone Day. It's a heck of a lot of fun, and it's one of the most rewarding things that you could do. If you're a parent or an uncle or a grandparent, you can uh, go to your children's school and advocate that they use more Beyond Differences material. You can follow us on social media if that's your thing. You can just write blogs. You could um, reach out to me personally. Anything that we can do to spread this is going to be important. That's the world that I'm in. I need help doing it. And uh, it takes it takes a village. Yeah, it does. And it is. It's, I think it's, it is very important work because, it, uh, as you said, the 12-year-olds who you're reaching today, they're, they're the leaders tomorrow. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's so, really true. In a yeah. blink of an eye. In a blink of an eye, they are going to be the ones who are going to be making the decisions. So uh, time to time to spread. Yeah, it is. Well, uh, we just have like a, a couple of minutes left. And I just wanted to leave this open to you to say if there's anything else that you, you wanted to talk about the organization that you feel we haven't covered. Thank you. It's been a really wonderful um, conversation. So I feel like you have asked great questions. Um, again, I would just say we're uh, really putting out the call for youth leaders, uh, educators, resource counselors, uh, parents who want to bring the programs to their school, uh, p- people who are familiar with the workings of nonprofits. We always need incredible board members who come from all over the United States, and we're open to speaking with you about that. We need donations to keep ourselves going. And if you just want to follow us on social media and like what you see, you could repost, uh, retweet, re-whatever you want to do. Uh, we would love it. We're small, we're scrappy, uh, but we well, we subsist on getting bigger almost every day. And I think we're making a huge impact. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for the work you do. And thank you for spending this hour here with me discussing the Beyond Differences and the work that you do. It's been so much fun. Thank you. Of course. All right. Well, I will let you get on with your day and your dog and any other deliveries that you have. And yeah, let's let's stay in touch. Sorry about the disruptions. Thank that, you. That, that, as said, it's community radio. It's, <laughs> that's what we're all about. Thank you, Pamela. Great okay. interview. Great. Thanks. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye.